You're listening to Conversion Nations, the podcast that helps conversion optimizers overcome challenges they face with their experimentation programs. Brought to you by Effective Experiments, the workflow and project management software helping optimizers make experimentation a core part of their business. Scale up your testing program with a centralized solution and document all your research, ideas, experiments, and results in one place. Learn more and request your free trial by visiting EffectiveExperiments.com. And now, your host, Manuel DaCosta. Hey, welcome to episode two of Conversion Nations, uh, the conversion optimization podcast where we have conversations with leading industry experts and people in the know. Uh, I have Chad Sanderson joining me again. Hey, Chad, welcome back uh, to the podcast. Obviously, we did something right last week. Um, so, um, welcome back. Did you, did you have a good week last week? Yeah, yeah, I had, uh, I had a pretty good week. I guess you could say that. It's, uh, you know, I'm in Connecticut, so it's freezing cold up here, and I am not a cold-blooded person. <laughs> Are you from, did I read somewhere that you're from Georgia, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was um, from Georgia originally, so I came up in the deep south, and then um, when I graduated from college, I went overseas to live in uh, Asia for about four years. Oh, wow, okay. So, yeah, I was doing optimization work in China and Singapore before I came back here. Nice. We'll we'll definitely talk about that another day. Uh, But I want to ask you something, right? Um, A-B testing, it's dead. Mm, it's I, I dead. read about that somewhere. Someone said A B testing is dead. And I it's thought dead. Yeah, we're out of business, man. We're we we're, we're, we're out of the job. Yeah, um, no idea. I was very surprised. It's like <laughs> wow, all this time I thought I was uh, doing a good job making money, but no, nope. it turns out it's been dead. Came into my office, it looks like I fired myself. Box on the yeah. table, get out of here. <laughs> Pack it in. Honestly, why are we still doing this this uh this the theories, man. We should just get out of business. No, so I, I saw this article floating around the other day. Um, I can't remember exactly. I think it's venture it venture beat article that you're talking about. Link below for uh, viewers right now, or for listeners. Link in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, that was a venture beat article. Uh, go on, tell tell us all about it. Yeah, so so the article had this uh, pretty clickbaity headline. The headline was. You know, A-B testing is dead because Optimizely is no longer servicing free clients or something like that. So the biggest, so, the biggest uh, company that I assume that does A-B testing and that popularized A-B testing is no longer doing A-B testing. What gives? Yeah, what, what gives? What's going on? Well, when you actually read that article, you find out that, um, well, first of all, they're still doing A-B testing. Sure. And second of all, all they're really doing is turning off their free service. Optimize, they previously had a free service that you could use, and that's going away. Now they're, it's going 100% paid. Now, how the author made the jump from we're turning off free service to A-B testing is dead, I, I, I'm a bit confused upon. Sure. <laughs> There's a few <laughs> specific details that I'm missing. Um, but they do, honestly, it is, I would say if you're new to testing, um, it's a thought-provoking article because it does bring up some things that uh, some of us have been talking about for a pretty long time. That you know, any sort of testing is 
difficult, it's technically difficult, there's a lot of moving pieces involved. Um, and so she brings up some of those points as to why it's hard, but to go from it's hard to it's dead yeah. is, a, is a pretty huge jump. It's kind of like, like saying, okay, well, you know, when you drive, if you're driving 100 miles an hour with no seatbelt on, you're probably going to die. Yeah. So you should just never drive ever. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, no, that's not what it, you just need to be safer in how you, uh, how you're actually conducting your tests. Definitely. And I, I see this trend happening over and over, right? So if we roll back, I think we referenced this in the, in the first episode as well. In that episode, we were fluid. So the conversations kept, you know, sort of jumping from uh, topic to topic. But uh, if I remember correctly, we did talk about this like rollback about, you know, six or seven years ago when testing was fairly new. And if you look at vendor case studies, if you look at all the vendors trying to push A-B testing forward, everyone was trying to make it seem really simple. Like you could change a headline and it would result in, in a lot of uplift, right? And that was almost like a sales pitch in that sense, trying to get people to, to try and use their tool or their WYSIWYG editor in that sense. Um, and then that trend changed and they said, okay, you shouldn't be using the WYSIWYG editor, you should be using JavaScript. And then uh, I think last year the trend was you shouldn't be using, um, you know, uh, client-side A-B testing. You should mm -hmm. be server-side testing. And then we have, uh, nope, we shouldn't be doing A-B testing. I think that was what was referenced in the article. We should be doing personalization. Now, where do we draw the line on, on reality and bullshit in this case, right? Because ultimately, people are reading this, and you and I are looking at that article critically and thinking, okay, that's not true. But there are CEOs out there that are going to read the same article and going to disband their optimization team because they've read this. What gives? Uh, you know, again, it's like, how do we counter this uh, in a sensible way? You know, that's, uh, that's a good question. I think that gets to the heart of uh, what, the, what the real problem is, is because most C-level executives, most uh, stakeholders that are investing in these tools, they want to be told that the tool is going to provide all the answers, that whatever it is that you're investing in, you put money in and money comes out, basically. And the reason they feel that way is, is exactly as you've said, that's how these tools have been described for so long. Um, and not just in optimization A-B testing, but in the MarTech industry in general. Yeah. Most of the tools that people invest in, they say, well, you just put in a certain amount of money, however much it is, and you'll get two times to return, three times to return, sure. four times to return. Um, so I think it's not just a problem with A-B testing and optimization. I think it's in marketing technology and the, the kind of sliminess that's used to sell these tools to people that don't know any better. As far as our particular industry, um, I think that really what should be, and this, it's always going to be a problem because whenever you have somebody new in the space and they're going after, you know, whatever's hot, whether it's AI or machine learning or personalization, they're always going to try to frame what came before <laughs> as weaker or lesser in some way. Yeah. Um, you know, personalization is really hot right now. One of the things that I try, I really try to tell people, especially people that are saying, well, well A-B testing is too complicated, A-B mm -hmm. testing is too difficult, is machine learning and AI is way more difficult 
uh, it's way more technically complicated than A-B yeah. testing. It's not even close to the, to the levels of complexity of all these different algorithms and decision trees and multi-armed bandits. Like, it's just it's layers upon layers upon layers. And there, there really is no way in a lot of these systems to actually do a spot check. So how do you know, for example, if I turn on my personalization software that it's actually making me money? Like, yeah. how, how do I know that? Unless you have a deep understanding of the systems and the algorithms and how they work, mm -hmm. um, you're really not going to know until, you know, three or four months later. And maybe you see an uptick in revenue, but that could be possibly explained by many different things. Mm -hmm. So I think, and we sort of covered this in the first, um, our first talk, is there, just, there needs to be more education yeah. from unbiased observers. So True. people who are in the industry need to get out more. And, and do educating because the vendors are not going to do it. Yeah, and I suppose the vendor education as well is going to be biased in that sense, right? You're like talking about if a vendor is teaching you about machine learning or personalization, it's because ultimately it benefits them. I mean, our company is a vendor as well, and we're obviously you know, trying to do almost the same thing. Uh, but I'm of the firm belief that a tool doesn't actually solve your problem. It's the people that utilize the tool in conjunction that solves the problem. You need someone that has the skills as well as the tool helping facilitate it to move faster with it, right? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know where this ends because it, it can go on forever. They can keep jumping onto the next thing like op optimizely maybe. Correct, I, I'm not sure if they had a free plan though. Did they have a free plan? I'm not 100% sure if they did. If, the, if they had a free plan, I feel like it was a while ago. I can't right, remember. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it yeah, was a while ago. I received the email saying that they were sunsetting their classic plans, which uh, we had as well. Uh, you know, uh, we were using it for the for the API integration, but the the the, the plan that they have, the classic plan, uh, which is uh, you know had all the classic A/B testing stuff, and they've sort of said, okay, that's over. We're moving to Optimizely X. Everyone is moving to Optimizely X, and X is like their full stack, which. Um, uh, has that personalization built in and other stuff built in into it as well. But, um, you know, I think with other industries, I, I don't know how it is in the US, but in the UK uh, over here, uh, if, um, if you're misleading people through false advertising, you can get done for, right? Now, is that false advertising or is it just uh, embellishing the facts when they're trying to sell personalization or machine learning or you know, any other um, Kool-Aid for want of better. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good question. Um, and I think, I think the, real, the real question is, do this, people who are doing the selling even really know the difference themselves? Um, because these are, like I said, these are very complex systems. Mm -hmm. um, the statisticians and the engineers and the data scientists who build these things usually are not the same people who are out on the front lines trying sure. to, convince the C-level executives to buy it. So I think it would be really hard to get some of these companies on fault advertising because I, I just don't think that they know themselves. I think that they've kind of been given a script. Yeah. They follow that script and it, it is how it is. And that's what happens when you don't have people who are, uh, who are building the platform actually representing the platform. A great example of someone who is doing that is uh, Matt Gershoff and Conductrix. Um, one of the things that he says all the time that I can really appreciate as someone who's in-house is 
you know, if you're not ready to dive into the complexity of the, the platform, it's a personalization platform. If you're not ready for that, don't, don't buy it. Yeah. You know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not the, the, the sales pitch to tell you, you know, oh, it's got, you know, all these features and buttons and knobs and you're just yeah. going to explode. He's saying, yeah, you know, this yeah. tool is designed to help you, but if you're not ready for it, if you don't understand how complex it's going to be, don't get involved because it's going to be a waste of everybody's time. It's going to be yeah. a waste of your time because you're going to spend money yeah. and it's, it's, nothing's going to happen. And it's going to be a waste of, of my time as well because we want clients that are actually going to stick around and use the platform and bespoke people for the platform. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can use an analogy of, of buying a race car, but then just using it to go to the supermarket, right? You know, yes, it's doing something, but you're not using it for the purpose it was designed for. Uh, and you're not going to be happy because ultimately you're not going to be able to use it, you know, for yourself, for, for the purposes you want to use it for. Um, talking about the, um, you know, where this leads to market. So if Optimizely has decided to leave A-B testing behind, I wonder how the other players in the in the space are going to react to it. Whether that's going to fill a void, like people are going to jump in to fill the void. Um, there are lots of um, A/B testing tools now, right? I mean, the other day, I think it was three days ago. So today is the sixth of Feb, twenty eighteen. If you're listening in the future, which you probably will be, um, like I think three or four days ago, there was announcement an announcement by Zoho. Uh, that they recently uh, released a new tool called PageSense. Um, and PageSense is meant to be uh, like an all-in-one suite that does A-B testing and heat maps and click maps and so on and so forth. Uh, you could, you know, you put them in the same um, sort of segment as like VW are doing the same thing right now or Fresh Marketer. So it, yeah, the, the, there are lots of different vendors in this space now. And is it is it is optimizedly trying to leave that behind and move on to the next thing in the space? Mm, I don't I don't think so. I, I don't think they're trying to leave A/B testing behind. I think that A/B testing is their bread and butter. You know, they're a company. Last I checked, that was worth about two hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah. And so they they built all of that on A/B testing. So I think that's what people know them as. What I think is happening now is that some of their customers are starting to ask questions like, okay, personalization is coming, machine learning is coming, um, and we want to invest in those tools too. Um, maybe people that have saw good results from using Optimizely, maybe people that haven't saw good results from using it, both of them for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and Optimizely is making a, basically saying, well, it doesn't, we, we would be able to make more money, A, by retaining our clients and just adding these services in and potentially losing them to say, um, you know, an Adobe Target that okay. uh, does A-B testing and also does personalization, also does machine learning and all these other things. Obviously, it's very different price points, but um, I, I, think, I think that's kind of the idea. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting. I, I don't know. Well, so Pep, uh, Pep uh, Laja, for everybody who doesn't know him, he runs uh, CXL, you know, probably one of the most well-known people in the optimization space. Yeah. Uh, he put out a video not too long ago that I really agree with, where he was saying that the real problem is in a disparity of knowledge. If yeah. you've got this 1% of people on the 
optimization space that really know what they're doing. And they're the ones that are getting these amazing results. And then you have the 99% that are kind of just investing in tools and they're the ones that are, are suffering. It's kind of like, it's kind of like going to, uh, you know, what it reminds me of is, um, is Bitcoin. Right. You know, like <laughs> it, it does. It reminds me of what Bitcoin. What is the price because, of Bitcoin today though? <laughs> oh my God. I don't even know. It's gotta be like, Seven thousand six. Yeah, I think it had uh, had a dip recently, right? Anyways, yeah, I digress. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it reminds me of Bitcoin because you've got certain people, you know, all these gurus that are millionaires, like they made you know fifty million or hundred million dollars or some you know ridiculous amount of money, and then other people are looking at them and they're thinking, oh well, I can make a billion dollars too. I just have to put all my life savings into you know, yeah. monkey coin or whatever the heck it is now. Yeah. Um, and then the, the inevitable sort of dip happens and they lose everything. The people who are really making money, like they know that these dips happen. Like they're, they're aware that that's kind of the cycle of things. And they got in so early that they understand the systems really well. And that's, that's kind of the problem that we have now, I think. It's that there's this, there's this disparity of this is what people know and this is what people kind of, kind of, think that they know. But I think it's also down to the fact that as humans, we're hardwired for shortcuts, right? We always want a shortcut for something. I mean, if you look at the internet, uh, you know, just do a search for conversion optimization, I swear you'll find like a hundred point checklist, everything that you can test on, on, a, on a website. And I remember um, it was Conversion World 2015 at one of the conferences uh, that I ran uh, that Pep uh, actually sort of lambasted one of these uh, checklists and he said it was complete bullshit. But again, if you're looking to get started, what, what do you do? How do you get started? And here's like an easy guide to follow, right? Um, that disparity is because people aren't setting out the right, um, well, there is no standard, right? Everyone's learning it some way or the other, going through it in different uh, ways. So how do we create this standard where there is no disparity in, in an ideal world? Like who's responsible for that? Is it the vendor? Is it the, the company? Is there a global standard that does it? There isn't one right now. Right. That's a, I think that that's a great question. And it's actually something that the um, statistical fields are going through right now too. Right. So there's this issue. Um, there's a... A scientific, a scientific problem, a replication problem, and I think we had talked about this a little bit last time. I think we um, did. Yeah, but bring it. Let's yeah. bring it up again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's it's really important because it's it kind of gets at the heart of why people fail at optimization. All other things aside, it really gets at the heart of it. And so in science, one of the problems that people have had lately is reproducing studies that they've done before. So they do a study, they find some amazing result. And everybody else in the field attempts it and they all fail, which is kind of indicating that there was never really a true result here. And so statisticians have been trying to figure out for a long time how they should best be resolving the issue. One of the major problems that they have is that the definitions of the terms that are used to determine success right. are very loosely defined. They're actually very strictly defined, but people don't know what those definitions are. And I'm talking even scientists don't really know the definitions. Even okay. statisticians don't know the definition. Uh, so like a p-value, for example, a p-value is something that we use in optimization yep. to determine whether a test is real or not. Scientists use the exact same thing. 
Yeah. And very, very few statisticians or scientists know what p-value actually is. And so it leads to all of these, all this confusion, people saying that they have real results when they actually don't. Um, and one of, the, one of the great solutions that I think has been proposed, some people have said things like, well, we need to lower the limits of p-values. Usually we think right. of statistical significance is 0.05. Yeah. There's been one group of people, they published a paper and they said, instead of saying 0.05, now we need to say 0.005. So basically right. 10 times of a stronger signal. Um, a lot of people, including me, disagree with that because it's like sometimes, like sometimes you don't have a strong signal that doesn't, or that strong of a signal. It doesn't mean that yeah. there's no result. So you're just shooting yourself in the foot in a lot of cases, especially yeah. in science where maybe you can only afford to to talk to a hundred people or a thousand people. You can't get that strong result. Sure. Um, so there's a, a statistician named uh, Daniel Lakins, and what he's proposed is that people need to start justifying why they're using the values that they do. Right? Okay. Don't use don't use a certain, you know, this is just the standard and you use it every single time. Mm-hmm. You need to actually apply some critical thinking and some common sense to every single test that you run. So I think that's something that we don't really have right now in optimization is saying instead of having just one set of rules, you know, look at it from the perspective of your business and start thinking about what actually matters. And then a a guideline, not necessarily a step-by-step guideline, but a mental framework, a mental framework of how you approach a problem, a a critical thinking exercise. Gotcha. And, and we talk, you know, you mentioned that there is this disparity of knowledge and everyone, if you, if you take two companies and ask them, you know, how do you run your optimization program? How do you run your optimization program? You are going to get different answers, right? Um, I think recently, or was it two, a week or two weeks ago when on CXL, someone said, how do you prioritize your experiments? And someone said, pi, someone said, peer, uh, and I came in saying like ice and pie bullshit. And then you went in, like took it to the completely next level. We use regression models and, and it was like, whoa, people aren't even like using pie, uh, you know, easily. And this is going to like confuse the hell out of them. So um, why are we not getting to that standard? Just, you know, like, okay. So if, if there's so many different prioritization models, there are so many different ways of doing it. Let, let's try and dig down to the root of the matter. Why is that still happening now? And, uh, you know, who should, be, who should be responsible for overhauling the system if we can even achieve that? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that AB, what, one of the things that testing and experiment and optimization in general really suffers from is a lack of technical input. One of the things that we had mentioned in the last, conversation was that a generalist should run things yeah but on the other side of the fence the the strength of having a generalist is that you can bring in technical people who really understand their own individual disciplines and that they can contribute to this really really powerful uh this really powerful scientific system i think what's happening now is is what you're getting is marketers that are kind of inside the bubble yeah trying to design something that is not best designed by a marketer. It's, it's best di- designed by someone who's more technical, who understands things like, uh, you know, causality and inference and can create these different layers of pie 
uh, it was designed by a marketer. It's something that a marketer would understand. It's That's the same as ICE as well, and, and PXL as well, for that matter. Yeah. Like yeah, every, yeah. every prioritization framework was designed by a marketer in that sense. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it makes complete sense to a marketer. But if you brought in somebody from a different perspective, if you brought in a technical person, uh, they might say, well, okay, that, that makes sense. Let's try to find a way to take this model that you've built and systematize it. Right? Yep. Let's make it actually grounded in real data instead of just, you know, it's funny to me that our, the whole reason that we do A-B testing is to get away from our assumptions. Right? That's kind yeah. of the, the selling point. Yep. And yet oftentimes when it comes to prioritization, it's completely based off our assumptions. Like when you, when you talk about a model like Pi or ISO or whatever, it's co almost completely based off, you know, like, oh, impact. How do you measure that? Well, yeah. you know. A six, a seven. Yeah, and I, I actually did a video, uh, like I've created a series of videos myself a few uh, days ago, and it was referencing this, the fact that Pi and ICE, you can just pull out numbers from thin air, yes, you can have some method to the madness, but essentially you're just pulling out numbers, right? Yes, we know that one is really bad and nine is really good, but then how do you categorically define the difference between an eight and a nine when scoring it, right? I can understand the extremes, but when they get closer to each other, how do you differentiate it? How do you make sure that everyone is scoring it the, the, the same way? Um, and on the same uh, same way again, you have pie and ice, but then people don't factor in things. If they just follow it blindly, uh, they don't factor in cost. They don't uh, factor in risk. You know, all these other factors that might be actually important to um, to that company. Right? Yep. Um, if they if they're doing an experiment, let's say for example, uh, someone I know uh, doing an experiment on uh, their checkout page. But that's going to impact if that test does become successful or does run is going to have an impact on their production times. So they're going to have to like ship out more stuff or like get, you know, more things printed out and sent out. It's going to have an impact elsewhere, but that team is not brought into that, into that prioritization discussion as well. So, you know, I think, I think you're absolutely right when you say these uh, frameworks are built by marketers, but then they also seem to be blindly followed by people. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to do in prioritization is I start off, I start off by, it, it is kind of, it always sort of starts off from your opinions. Like when you're sure. starting from nothing, um, it is always going to be based on your opinions to some degree. But the goal is if you include enough variables into your model, whatever that model is, and as you continue to test and as you continue to talk to people outside your discipline, Mm -hmm. then you're going to start to see some patterns emerging over time. That's going to help you weight those scores better. So specifically, you, you mentioned um, regression. And so what, what I do is categorize basically everything, every single thing that we did leading up to a test. And that doesn't just mean the, you know, your sort of standard uh, PXL models, which is, you know, above the fold, does it, does it have yeah. user research attached to it or not? We, we definitely have those things, but I like to quantify other things as well. It could even be, you know, when, at what type of uh, um, meeting was this test generated? Like, did a person generate it by themselves? Did, what, did it come from a group? Did it come yeah. from, like, a session, a brainstorming session that we all had? Yeah. Uh, I like to always uh, 
write down who actually created it. Did it come from outside of our team? Did it come from internal to our team? Did it come from someone that's not affiliated with testing at all? I try to categorize every single thing possible. And then when we run the test, then after we do all, all our segmentation and all our analysis and all these things, then we take that data back and we try to build some sort of prediction mechanism that can say, based on all of our inputs, so that huge list of variables that we have, yeah. how well can a model figure out what our output, our lift is going to be? And the reason that that's really important is because if you can get a pretty decent model, something that has a predictive power better than maybe 50% of the time, yeah. what it's saying is it can figure out with about you know 50 or 60% accuracy which tests are going to be losers and which tests are most likely going to be winners. Now, you're not going to get everything correct, obviously, um, but if you can increase that proportion even a little bit, you're optimizing your program. And that's something that uh, I think a lot of people fail to do in marketing. If there's too much of a focus on the optimization of the website, that, that's great. You know, optimizing the website is great. That's what we're paid to do. But in order to optimize the website better, you have to optimize the systems that you have Correct. That are that are uh, resulting in these ideas and these concepts in the first place. Yeah, and that sounds like a lot of work. I'm sure, like, there's some automation that can do it for me, right? Oh man, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being sarcastic over that. Yeah, yeah uh, it's it's it does seem like you know you start off okay. Uh, as I said, you know, when you're starting off, Pi seems like the the easiest thing to get started, because what I've also seen is people have this tendency to to procrastinate on getting started in their companies they can't start because they don't know they, this seems like a mountain of work and then pi seems like an easy way to do it running those quick WYSIWYG ab tests seems like an easy way to get started but i think therein lies the danger they get trapped in that constant cycle of just focusing on the easy parts and then mm-hmm. rather than like as you said optimizing the process and and improving it as you go along they get stuck in this cycle of just continuously doing the same thing over and over again. Let's circle back to the vendors then. What's their responsibility in all of this, you think? Or should they watch well, I know I know what I want I know what I want them to do. Sure. Whether whether or not that's actually realistic is another story. What I right. what I would want them to do is to understand that they for better or worse, a vendor is going to be the flag bearer of optimization. You know, as much as, as, as we like to talk and as other people in the industry really like to talk, inevitably, you're going to listen to your tool. You're going to do your research on the tool. All your stakeholders are going to look at the tool. They're going to read what the tool has to say. And so I think that there is a responsibility there. Even if you, you know, fine, do, do your selling, right? Do like your used yeah. carsman, do car salesman, like spiel, whatever. Yeah. But there should at least be um, a focus up front. You should let people know that this is not something that you're going to be able to just hop into and run and, you know, everything's great. There's, there's very few other disciplines that do this, you know? If you're, uh, if, you're, if you're looking to buy a car, like if you're looking to buy a race car or something like that, the person who's selling it to you is always going to ask you some questions, right? They're going to be like, do you yeah. know how to drive this? 
you know, how, do you have any experience going at like 300 miles an hour? Are you over the age of 18? <laughs> Are you over the age of 18, right? They're going to ask. Basic ask criteria that. <laughs> yeah. Or owning a, I mean, in the U.S., you can own firearms. So obviously you don't just get to walk in. Like people do ask you things like, are you, you know, you ever been arrested? You're a criminal. Yeah. Like yeah. there's some, there's some stuff that happens beforehand before yeah. you get to this. And I think that that's something I would really like to see vendors do is start was start just asking some basic questions like, hey, um, do you actually have anybody to run this? Yeah. Do you have any type of, of plan on how you're going to test? Like, do you kind of have an understanding on how you're going to analyze these? I think what a lot of people do is they, they, they start looking at the tool before they build the, the structure of the program. Correct. Correct. It's, it's the, you know, the horse before the cart analogy over here, right? They, they, they're going out because they need to get all these tools and get, get started, but they haven't really thought about what they need to do. And, and you're saying vendors should more or less vet, um, you know, their, their users, if anything. Right. Um, and is that what it, what, um, optimizely may have done again? I, I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but again, leaving their AB testing behind, maybe they're shifting more towards users that are doing it on a, on a high level and the one leaving behind the ones that aren't qualified enough to run those testing uh, programs efficiently. Again, that's only an assumption here. Maybe someone at Optimizely can, uh, can confirm or deny this. Um, but I'd love to, I'd love to have a session where we can bring all like someone from each vendor on the call and ask them these questions, right? Ultimately, yeah. uh, you know, I know it will come down to sales. They have sales targets to meet. They need to sell and they need to, you know, get a customer from uh, away from a competitor. That's their job as a business. But ultimately, as if, in my opinion, if we are to move ahead as an industry, we need to have like responsible vendors that are actually signing up customers to their platforms once they've figured out what they're going to utilize the platform for. Is it too powerful for them? Is it at the right, are they at the right stage or are they, uh, you know, um, maybe another vendor might uh, meet them, uh, you know, meet their requirements better. I'd love to bring, bring the, the, someone, a representative um, from the vendors on our podcast in the future. If, if you are um, a vendor in the optimization tool space, uh, drop me a line, uh, leave a comment somewhere somewhere below, or if you're listening to this, uh, drop me an email on info at effectiveexperiments.com. I'd love to have you on to get your take, you know, hear your side of the story on how you're helping build a more responsible conversion optimization industry. So with that uh, thought, I think we should wrap up the call. I think it's been quite an insightful, uh, insightful session with you, Chad. Um, any final thoughts on your end? I think that um, I think that it def- we definitely covered a lot of interesting stuff today. And the key thing that I, I want people to take away is that these when we have these types of these types of discussions, it's not a it's not complaining. What we really want is we want the industry as a whole to be better. Because if the industry as a whole is is better, if people are more knowledgeable then it means that every, everybody grows, everybody wins. Businesses start to see the value of what we do and they start to become evangelists for testing. And right. the more that that happens and the more the people can embrace it. And it starts with 
the vendors and and it also continues to us yeah but when the, because the vendors are the first line of contact then there is some responsibility to uh, exactly. make optimization better for everybody exactly and we, maybe next time we can um, talk about how we make uh, you know even the frontline conversion optimizers more responsible for helping grow experimentation in their company because that, that second line of responsibility falls onto them. And I think that's something we should definitely uh, cover in one of our future sessions. But uh, everyone uh, watching this video or listening to us, uh, thank you for joining us again for, uh, for this quick conversion nation session. Um, we will be back next week uh, with a new uh, podcast, new topic and maybe some other people joining us as well. Uh, thank you again and have a nice day. You've been listening to Conversion Nations. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified when we release new updates. Conversion Nations is brought to you by Effective Experiments. Want to make experimentation a core part of your business? Request your demo and let us show you how we can help you grow your testing program.